0: And welcome to episode 213 of Total Party Thrill. <laughs> Podcat is loving it.
1: <laughs> is he done pooping?
0: He's no that's uh, that's his paper bag he's playing with. Even better. Live from the Mundangerous Voting Booth in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan, And welcome to episode 213 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours.
1: In this episode, we are discussing optional rules in 5th edition D&D, those we use and those we don't. But first, the rogue traders dial long distance in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Sly Cooper platforms into your life and steals your heart in the Character Creation
0: Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by 1985 Games. Dungeon Craft is a new book filled with cutout game pieces that let you create an engaging world for your next campaign.
1: Put down your marker and use the pieces from the book to craft your world in real time. Dungeon Craft provides rivers, trees, caves, buildings, hordes of monsters, dragons, chests, spiritual weapons, and so much more. Simply cut out the thousand plus terrain pieces that are in the book and place it on a map.
0: So this is cool. Like instead of drawing it on the map, they give you these little like flat paper cutouts. Um, You know, if you want a campfire or you want a room or you want a tree on the map, you simply pick it up and cut it out, obviously, and then place it on the map. And then you can store it in anything that stores flat surfaces. So, you know, a binder or something like that.
1: Right. If you're like, aren't these just dungeon tiles? They sometimes serve the same purpose. But one thing about dungeon tiles is like they're pretty thick cardboard. And, you know, that's one of the, The benefits of dungeon tiles, right? They're really sturdy and you like build terrain out of them. Mm -hmm. But these are like on cardstock, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you put them on a blank battle map that you already have, or you can put it on another map and basically customize it. Look, honestly, I don't actually need a dungeon tile of a hallway. Two lines on a battle map does it. Like, you guys know that's a hallway. But the room. Or like a feature in the room, or uh, like a tree in in like a clearing. Those are things that it, it looks nice to actually have a picture of.
0: Exactly. So when you receive a copy of Dungeon Craft, all the terrain pieces come bound in a spiral book. You simply cut them out uh, as you need them, and then you can store them and transport them wherever. They fit into a backpack. Um, you know they don't take up any space in your apartment. Uh, you just get all the benefits of having these cool, like, 3D terrain, except that it's flat.
1: Also available is the Hell or High Water companion books. These two books were made to be used with Wizards of the Coast, two newest books, Ghosts of Salt Marsh, uh, which we took a pretty in-depth look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll post at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus.
0: So, for more info on DungeonCraft and to pledge for your copy, go to www.1985games.com.
1: Shane, speaking of descending deeper and deeper into hell, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign?
0: So, the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Deathworld Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian... The rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra, and profit.
1: We totally finally know what's going on. Uh-huh. Sort of.
0: Sort of. You have met the secretive organizer of the Technogangers League, the Seer Unknown, and now you have a lot of questions. Uh, first of all, you learn that the Seer Unknown is, of course, an Eldar Farseer. Um. So you turn to your bosun, Sereth, a Dark Eldar, to explain the difference between Eldar Exodite's Dark Eldar and Craftworld Eldar, of which the Farseer is one.
1: Alright, that confuses us further, so we go do some research because we have at least two bookworms with us. Mm-hmm. So Echo sets off to start pulling in as much data as she can find off of data slates in various tomes in the Librarium.
0: And Flare uh, cheats. So rather than Again. doing rather than doing the work, he just goes back to his choir chamber, uh his sort of like psychic refuge, and attempts to reach back out to the farseer and contact her directly. uh He initially struggles, but eventually the farseer kind of gets a sense that he is reaching out and instead projects herself into the chamber so they can chat
1: so after. Fielding a few very confusing questions from the rogue traders, the Farseer realizes that, sure, these particular human monkey uh, are brighter than their peers, but they're still not very bright. Mm -hmm. Uh, And their minds are too weak to shake off the after effects of participating in a psychic projection like the League.
0: Yeah, so she realizes she just needs to start from the beginning, which is super fun for me as the GM, because this is now the third time I've had to explain what's going on.
1: (laughs) Nice, and there's no excuse of, uh, we have different players in this session, because now everyone has been here for at least one of these sessions.
0: Yeah, exactly, so I finally have to bring everybody together, and all their differing opinions, and get all the wrong ideas out of the way and off the table, so... So she starts by introducing herself. She says, yes, I am the seer unknown. And she explains that she is a spirit seer from the craft world Eonden. And then through this exchange, right? Like through this conversation that starts, the rogue traders finally come to understand what's going on. So starting from the beginning, there are Eldar exodites on this planet. The primitive Eldar who are living an austere existence to um, prevent Slaanesh from capturing their souls they have settled on the planet millennia before the monkey arrived
1: but the exodites are dying and the growth of the humans on the planet is going to accelerate that within only a thousand years they will be extinct and their souls will be trapped not by Slanesh, but inside the world spirit of this planet iblis prime
0: while they will be hidden right they will be safe they will also be vulnerable uh, because if anyone were to tap into the world spirit, their souls would be forfeit, um, and ultimately, this planet will not be an Eldar planet. The Farseer right can see the writing on the wall here, so um, it is useless for Eldar souls to be trapped in, you know, far-flung, remote planets. In even if they're safe in a world spirit, she would much rather bring their souls to her craft world Eanden, um in order to use them to help the eldar
1: yeah so this is basically like part of that rift between differing eldar these are the eldar amish uh whose spirits will be trapped inside this planet and she's like that's a huge waste because we use uh the spirits of the eldar to fight against laanesh and like i'm fighting a war (laughs) i want these resources
0: well <laughs> more so than Slanesh. Uh Eon Den actually has been fighting off a uh Tyranid High Fleet for about a century.
1: <laughs> oh well. That's <laughs> a bit more pressing right now. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> they use spirits to um to power their like Wraith Guard and, and various like Wraith technology, um, that's sort of their thing. Um, so using those spirits literally allows them to fight their war. So uh, but much more pressing than just the theoretical thought of, ah, they're just not great for our civilization.
1: So she wants these Eldar souls recovered from the world spirit of Eblis Prime. And she wants to return the surviving exodites who are still alive to the Webway, which is basically she wants to take the Amish back to the city.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and either, like, introduce them to the Astriani, to the, the craft worlds, or at least find them a new homeworld that isn't just going to be destroyed by the Imperium, um, because she recognizes that, yes, your, your colony is likely to succeed here.
1: Perhaps a bit greedy at the chance to make a powerful ally and a tidy profit Flare and Echo ask her for even more information.
0: How can we help? Ourselves. And by maybe, helping you. Maybe you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll find out what happens next, next week.
1: So, this week, we are talking about 5th edition DD and the many optional rules that are introduced in the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, or just by people on the internet who say, here's how I do a thing because I don't like how it works in the actual game.
0: Yeah, we, we get a lot of questions about like, what rules do you use? What rules do you ignore? Like, how do you play D&D? Because you seem to enjoy it. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Like, what have we used? What's our experience? Um, what was the effect on the game? Like, what should you consider if you're going to adopt it for your group?
1: Right. So for each of these, we'll talk about what the rule is, how people implement it, uh, when we played it, if we did, and how that affected the game that we were playing.
0: All right. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, One of the first rules we use is milestone leveling. We do not track XP.
1: Oh, dear Lord, no. For so many reasons. Uh, One, it's a lot of math. Like, I don't want to know how much XP each kobold is worth. Right nor do i honestly even want to track how many kobolds you killed
0: correct <laughs> um also like you can give xp for other types of encounters than combat but dnd really only gives xp for combat um so if you introduce milestone leveling right then your progression is more tied to the story than it is necessarily like the specific activities you did in the story um so you know that that's sort of fits our game a little bit better because we don't necessarily fight four to six combat encounters in a session.
1: Right Now if you're an old school D&D gamer or actually if you're relatively new to it, you might not know about milestone leveling. So like the traditional way is, the traditional way of gaining experience is you complete a task or you kill a monster, you finish a, a quest and you get an amount of XP. Sometimes this means that if people miss sessions, they miss out on XP and they begin to fall behind in the in leveling it also means that different characters at the table are different levels and it's harder to balance combats like that milestone leveling just throws all that out doesn't count XP and just when it is appropriate for the story says hey everybody gains a level
0: right I think the one negative impact that this has had on our game is that after every session we say hey cool are we level 13 now
1: <laughs> and I'm like no you're no, you 9 and like yeah but are we 13 now <laughs> Uh, And one other benefit of this is that, like, realistically, there are always some people who are better at tracking things on their character sheet or for their character than other people. Uh, Also, like, all of us have jobs, and sometimes those jobs are very busy, or people have vacations or whatever, so sometimes people will be away for a long time and, you know, haven't necessarily known what's going on for the last few weeks. So with this, you just show up and say, uh, what level were we again? Like, where are we now? Mm Mm-hmm and then you just adjust your character to that or you're like, oh great, my sheet is right. You don't need to track every individual piece of XP that you may or may not have gotten and it is different from everyone else's and so nobody can actually tell you what you like do or do not have.
0: Right. So the next thing that we use are feats. Um, they are technically optional, <laughs> though they provide so much variety to the game that like I feel like they really shouldn't be optional. Um, but regardless, that is something that we do. So at any point, instead of taking uh, an ability score increase, you can instead take a feat.
1: You're right. I think this adds so much versatility to the game, and it allows for character concepts that it's almost impossible to get in other ways. Like for example, the melee archer, which is basically Legolas. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't always shoot in melee, but he can, and he does it to great effect. And you can only do that with crossbow master.
0: Right. the The thing that we do that is a little bit different. Um, regarding feats or that we have done is um for eberron for morning glory specifically we had a free feed at first level which is just a thing that kind of made us feel more heroic um playing an eberron campaign because eberron heroes were always kind of slightly more in that pulpy adventure kind of heroic scale versus the sort of dirt farmer you know up and coming kind of D D scale
1: right one thing i will say though is that the reason that I introduced that in Morning Glory or one of the main reasons is that we were still in the 5e playtest and we were really kicking the tires of the setting so I actually in Morning Glory implemented a lot of the optional rules just to sort of try them out Um, and the way that like feats versus ability score increases work is that usually you're going to take the ability score increase for the first couple of times that you have the option so there are a lot of characters that actually won't take a feat until level 12 Mm -hmm. um and I wanted people to be able to like try feats out. It was also a way to implement Dragon Marks before uh, Wayfinder's Guide implemented Dragon Marks also as feats. Um, I have not introduced the free feat at first level since then. In the Return to Morning Glory campaign we're running right now, the characters don't have one, although that one's just in general a little bit less powered in terms of um, power level of the game. Mm-hmm. We don't do it in Dark Sun.
0: We haven't really used it for any one-shots or anything like that. Um... I mean, I, I will say, like, in some ways, it it does make characters feel more powerful early on, and it definitely increases the power of multi-classing early because you can use feats to fix things that otherwise you would be very much putting off until much later.
1: Right, and, of course, multi-classing screws up the rate at which you get ability score increases and therefore feats, so it lets you... Uh, get that feat without having to like hold off on your multi-classing long enough to get to like level four.
0: Right. Yeah. So it, it lets you, it let us create our character concepts sooner, I think. Right. To to make our characters feel like our characters, which I think in turn just sort of makes them more powerful.
1: One thing I might do in the future or, you know, for more casual games would be probably putting together a list of non super mechanically powerful feats but more flavorful feats, right? Because there are a lot of feats that like aren't actually that good and no one really takes them because the opportunity cost is so high. And saying, you can choose one of these for free, right? Like, you can get linguist for free. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you can get actor for free, I, right. I, I guess, most likely, right? <laughs> Unless, you know, you're the half-elf build that's trying to get a, whatever, an 18 charisma at first level. Right. Because you're that guy. Of course you are. Of course. Of course I am. Uh, the other thing people do with a free feat at first level is they will ban variant human because they get a feat at first level and then you have someone with two feats at first level we did not do that and I don't really see a need to to ban variant human just because then also no one will ever play humans because the regular human is mostly garbage
0: yeah the regular human's awful variant human gets you the feat which lets you do cooler things with your classes like that's the whole point of variant human so uh, I think it's fine Now, one thing we used in Morning Glory um, for a long time and probably should not have is spell points. Yeah, should not have. So, spell points are an alternative to spell slot-based casting. Um, And basically, like, you have a pool of points. Depending on the level of spell, it costs you a certain number of those points. And you have full flexibility in terms of what distribution of your spell points you use on what spells.
1: Now... I unfortunately assumed that this worked the same way that it did in 3.5 and thought that you had a pool of spell points, but that the conversion rate between spell points and spell slots was such that you paid for the flexibility of having spell points. You do not. (laughs) At all in any way, right? I thought it was like, all right, I can cast, you know, 15 spells of these levels if I use slots, and if you convert them all to, to spell points, then I can actually cast fewer of them, but I get to decide, you know, uh, what level they're going to be. And you don't end up wasting anything. Like, you don't end up casting, like, shield with a third level slot because you don't have any first level slots left over. Right. The math does not work out that way. All it does is give you so much more increased flexibility. Like, you can cast shields as pretty much as many times per day as you want.
0: Yep. It felt like you were always using the optimal spell slot to do the thing that you wanted to do and it was just much more powerful i will say it was nice on the bookkeeping side because you just had to like write down a number and then just like tick some tick and tally it um in the margin rather than having to you know check boxes and and do all that sort of thing on the sheet
1: oh it's interesting that you say that because i think jim who played calic and was using a paladin that was also using the the spell points i think when he played a spell slot character later in a different game was like oh i just check a box rather than having to do math on spell points
0: yeah but i don't it's not that hard to subtract seven you know (laughs) like
1: is it a number of spell points equal to the slot
0: uh i don't think it's exactly equal but you know whatever it's it's a number of slots i did yeah you're right i did have to write the conversion rate down as well somewhere (laughs) fair
1: all right so yeah suggestion don't use spell points Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be interested to see what they do with psionics uh, because that traditionally has been power points that yep. you do the same way and and that that was one of the things it, like you get a pool of power points and it's extremely flexible but you get fewer power points than you would normally so if you like completely exhaust your supply you probably cast fewer spells than a wizard of the same level right right alright next up uh, in morning glory we used flanking
0: in dark sun we used flanking as well
1: oh okay And in
0: Birthright and the second pass at Eberron, we have not used flanking.
1: Right. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, AC is much lower in this edition than in previous editions, so hitting is not super complicated, and there are a lot more ways to get advantage. So flanking is basically if you're using a battle map and if you have an ally on the other side of your enemy, you get advantage on the attack. Mm -hmm. Advantage is a lot. Like in in, uh, 4E, it was a plus 2. Which was much, much less. It was still a useful bonus and people were always trying to get it. But right. like a advantage mostly guarantees you hit in five E.
0: It also makes it way easier for like rogues to get their sneak attack. It makes it much easier for builds that are chasing like crits um, to get those because rolling with advantage just greatly increases your odds there. So it did some stuff there. It also like there was the thing in fourth edition they called the conga line right because everybody wanted the plus two so you just flanked and flanked and flanked and flanked and then like you know you and i flanked an enemy and then another enemy flanked me and then one of our allies flanked that enemy and we Mm -hmm. just like stood in a line and like wailed on each other and it was real dumb um so that is definitely the natural effect of doing this uh, even more so when you have such a big bonus um through advantage so
1: yeah it also really favors melee characters Mm-hmm. Um, and especially builds like a Great Weapon Master where now you're rolling with advantage, so of course you're going to take the minus 5 to get the plus 10 damage. Yep. Uh, but like your sharpshooter can't do that, and then the ranged characters are just like, okay, I'm standing over here doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I can't get advantage because I'm not flanking. Yay. It also,
0: it also hurts like things like grappling builds and battlemaster fighter, like barbarians, like things where knocking somebody prone Is supposed to be a big advantage and Mm -hmm. you spend resources to do it like the advantage the benefit of knocking somebody prone is that you get advantage on melee attacks the cost is you have disadvantage on ranged attacks that's just worse than flanking so if your option is that or just flanking you just flank um which just makes it feel worse to play those classes that are meant to be like that kind of battlefield controller role and and yet the benefit is just marginalized by somebody who can move five feet.
1: Yeah. I think people are drawn to it because it
0: makes... Like, tactical, fictional like sense?
1: placement on the battle map much more important. Like, in, in 5e, it matters less where you are in relation to an enemy as long as you are adjacent to them because, like, you can maneuver around them without provoking. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't think it ends up solving the problem. It, it makes it less fun because then... It just changes the configuration that people stand in
0: that's what's annoying is like you still have to worry about what square you're sitting in because you still have lots of area effects and and like positioning spells and things like that is still important, right? But if everyone is locked into this flanking configuration, you just do more friendly fire, and the people who should be granting others advantage have less to do to to help them and then you so. end up
1: you end up with these weird constellations of creatures. Where, all right, we're all trying to flank. So everyone is always like on opposite sides on the grid. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like uh, the five pips on a die. Yeah, exactly. Or a plus <laughs> sign.
0: Right. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. I, I did not feel that it added anything. Well, we removed it. I haven't missed it. Yeah, same. So another optional rule that we use. I guess this qualifies, I'm calling it, uh, but we are now playing the Unearthed Arcana Artificer in um, in our Eberron game now.
1: Yeah, and we have used Unearthed Arcana material before if someone has been interested for a particular reason or they wanted to play test it. The caveat is always, hey, if this gets an update, then you should update mm-hmm. to a different build. And obviously, you, know, you can respec if, like, things change drastically, and now, like, your old ability scores don't work for it or whatever. Right. So right now, Cameron, in our, yeah, Return to Eberron, is playing the Battle Smith Artificer that makes uh, turrets,
0: arcane right. turrets. And, and what are your feelings on that, Ishan?
1: Huh. So at first, I was like, oh, wow, like, this is a lot of temp HP that this defender turret is doing because as a bonus action, it basically just, like, Blasts temp HP in every direction, mm-hmm. but you guys also have a, a glamour bard who does the same thing.
0: Yep, and you can only have one source of temp HP at a time.
1: Right. So, like, once Cam realized that, he just switched over to mostly the artillery a turret, which gives him a bonus action attack right. uh, every round, which is you know it's useful. Um, I I think it's been it's been interesting. He's still learning how to do it, so certainly there have been times where he's like, oh wait. I can make a gadget that lets me fly. Like I can basically cast fly, right? Right. But he didn't realize that until the fourth round of combat.
0: <laughs> until the fourth round of failing to get over a very simple chasm.
1: Uh, yes, that that may have happened. <laughs> uh, there, are, yeah, there are a lot of utility abilities that the artificer gets uh, that we haven't played around with much yet, and it ties it ties magic items to the game in a way that obviously works for Eberron but I can see it having a hard time with other fantasy settings like it certainly wouldn't work in Dark Sun or it would need a lot of changing in order to work with Dark Sun because you just get access to a bunch of different magic items right that like you can make or make temporarily
0: I I will say I think from a from an outside perspective right like Cam's artificer feels more like an artificer to me than like the glamour bard feels like a bard right like the the temp hp and shift ability feels less like glamour than does like building a turret that grants that benefit you know like the artificer just feels more in tune with its own flavor um it's been sort of my observation
1: yeah, it does feel like a 3.5 artificer um, with some aspects of the 4e artificer, both of which I liked very much. Mm-hmm. Um, now the the glamour bard, I will say, I like the glamour bard a lot, uh, but we did use that like temp HP and shift ability as like the base for the warlord that we built last week. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, totally. But like, I don't know. Like when I think of glamour as like the bard concept, right? Like the ability to gain temp HP and shift doesn't really line into that very well.
1: Yeah, and like the reasoning given in the flavor text is like you're so pretty that, that yeah, everyone you inspire is inspired people. to like get temp HP and shift.
0: Yeah, it doesn't Yeah. That, so I don't like There are characters at the table who very much do feel like their class and archetype, and the Artificer is one of them, is kind of my point. I didn't mean that more as a knock on the bard, but, you know, it's just the Artificer seems to feel like an Artificer when you're playing alongside it, you feel like, cool, like, we have our Artificer, our Artificer handles that, you know?
1: Right, like, he's like, okay, I drop my backpack and, like, fiddle with it with tools for a second, and it turns into the turret that all of you know. Which kind of turret did I decide it, it was going to be this time?
0: I always imagine that he has a Nintendo Power Glove on his wrist, and he, like, fiddles with that, and that's what creates his backpack turret.
1: I always imagine it like, a Doc Ock uh, backpack.
0: Oh, okay. With,
1: like, creepy octopus arms mm-hmm. that basically just, like, you know, latch onto him like, uh, like backpack straps. Okay. And then they just sort of, like, release... <laughs>
0: And like spin up a gun or something.
1: Yeah, uh, and he does a good job of like uh, describing the weird arcane ritual that he's doing, like on the fly, very quickly to like make this particular spell effect. Right. Um, I think like in an older version of the artificer, he was like, "Oh, I have a gun hammer because why would I not have a gun hammer?"
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's a little silly. <laughs> now he's very much a wand slinger.
1: It does feel a lot more like an artificer than the initial attempt at it that had like the what the, the thunder cannon, like the sniper artificer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: which felt like a sniper or a warlock and not an artificer.
0: Yeah. Um, so another thing that we've done that is, I guess, probably not technically an optional rule, but um, it's just something that we've done by convention, is we have adopted logical bonus action spell casting. So the way the rules are written, there is some really silly weirdness with casting a bonus action spell and then casting a cantrip order of operations becomes a thing and it's just it doesn't make any sense so we just kind of generally rule on your turn you can cast a cantrip and a bonus action spell the order does not matter move on with your lives
1: and i think i think this isn't so much like we sat down and we're like oh you know what? what's the easiest way to implement this at the table i think no one really knew or fully grasped the way that the rule was actually written because it is so confusingly written and not intuitive Mm-hmm. Because it is trying to avoid a, a particular outcome, right? That you kind of need to aim for anyway before you get.
0: Yeah, exactly. A- anyway, so it, it has come into effect at our table because we typically have a sorcerer, and a sorcerer typically has quickened spell, so any spell can be cast as a bonus action uh, uh. in our D anD d games most times, uh, which just opens up, you know the. The invitation is there and that's why we had to kind of just, hey, let's be reasonable about this instead of worrying about a bunch of like ticky tacky order of operations, close reading of the rules.
1: Right. So for those of you who aren't familiar with this particular rule, like the actual rule on paper is uh, if you cast a spell as a bonus action, then the only other spell that you could cast that round must be a cantrip.
0: Yes, yes. But if you cast a cantrip, it is somewhat unclear if you can cast a bonus action spell after that. Um, and then you be you can run into issues with action surge and different things like that where um, everybody gets rather confused as to what is and isn't allowed
1: at first it sounds like that might be reasonable but then you get into these weird situations like for example you're a sorcerer and you want to finish off an enemy uh, but then still be able to do something else so you cast your cantrip as a bonus action right you quicken your firebolt like haha there you go that doesn't finish them off. Great. Okay. Well, then maybe I should use my actual big spell and try to finish them off. You can't do that because you have already cast a spell as a bonus action.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Now, the the thing that the rule is there to prevent is to, for, to keep you from casting like fireball and then fireball, right? It is not there to stop you from casting fireball and then firebolt, but because you did it in the wrong order or you used the wrong action to cast that particular spell, you're screwed. Exactly.
0: And the situation there would be you wanted to cast your cantrip as a bonus action so you could do some non spell casting thing with your action if you killed the creature, right? And instead, it's just locked you into things, and it's, it's dumb. I mean, it's just dumb. So we
1: ignore it. Make sure you're not casting two, like, leveled spells in the same round unless you have some other ability that lets you do that, like Action Surge. Right. And, you know, <laughs> the warlock sorcerer multiclass can still, like, cast uh, two... Full-powered Eldritch Blasts. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nobody's hurt.
0: So then another optional rule that we use is inspiration. Um, You may think to yourself, this isn't optional. It's in the core book. And yet, it's up to the DM to give inspiration, which makes it ultimately optional.
1: Yeah, I think every game we have used it, but... I would say it, it's de facto that we don't use it because everyone always forgets about it.
0: We forget about it. And then it's like, oh, no, something didn't go right. Do I have inspiration for something cool that I did in the past 20 minutes by chance?
1: And even that is like a house rule, right? Because inspiration has to be used ahead of the roll. It gives you mm-hmm. advantage. Like exactly. It's not a re-roll. Right. Which is why even when you have it, no one wants to use it. And then you're like, oh, I got 219. So I did not. Like I just wasted that inspiration. Right. Like, they didn't do any good for me. So I think one of the house rules that we do is like, yes, you can use it as a re-roll. I'm fine with that. Like that's certainly not overpowered. Right. Like inspiration is so underpowered that I highly recommend. Well, it, it the- would be one thing it again.
0: It would be one thing if we consistently gave inspiration. Right. right all the but time. But we, we keep forgetting about it. Because I, I do feel like you're supposed to kind of have inspiration in your back pocket for more rolls than you don't. <laughs> um, It's sort of how... I it sort of strikes me as like I should be using inspiration like once or twice a session. Yeah. Um, and that means somebody has to give me inspiration once or twice a session, you know?
1: Yeah, and unfortunately that's just, it's so much more work for the, the GM. It's also, it favors people who are louder or flashier. Uh, and then as a GM, that's yet another thing you have to track is like, oh, have I been paying enough attention to this person who obviously is contributing and role-playing their character, but may just be a little bit quieter. Right. Right. Uh, one thing I have heard of people doing—I haven't played it at the table, but it sounds interesting to me—is that the GM doesn't give inspiration, or the GM can, but it's the players who give each other inspiration.
0: That is actually an optional rule in the DMG.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, like basically, one—you you have an inspiration point that you can give to someone else, like once or twice per session, and right. like just don't abuse it. Right. At the same time, I still probably would change it to allow a reroll. Uh, as well as opposed to just doing advantage because lots of times you're like "Ah, ah, is advantage really going to help here
0: and it always feels bad to spend a resource and get no benefit from it right
1: and then this is technically an optional rule but i think pretty much everybody uses them uh, magic items
0: yeah weird
1: Uh, we've used magic items in every 5e game that we have played
0: indeed it's almost as though the game kind of assumes that you're going to have them even though it insists it doesn't assume you're going to have them
1: yeah even though the math goes haywire once you start adding in any bonuses for magic items
0: mm-hmm. cool so i think our observe our observation here has mostly been add new effects and abilities through magic items rather than adding pure mechanical like bonuses right so like a plus three is a much bigger item than it appears versus like A flaming sword is Mm -hmm. just kind of a cooler thing than a plus one sword because a plus one sword is like it doesn't let you roll extra dice it just makes you like straight up more powerful
1: right but if I have to choose between a plus one sword and a flaming sword I'm taking the plus one sword
0: same yeah Yeah. which is why you should never let me choose yes just give me the flaming sword yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're still gonna love this because you didn't know a plus one sword was also an option exactly yeah so we did this a couple different ways again again in the original morning glory campaign Um, I was loosely following the treasure guidelines as established in the DMG, but this was before they kind of got updated to like how much treasure you can expect to have at any given level in later Mm -hmm. books. So you guys ended up with like a fair number of pretty powerful items. Mm -hmm. But we still did avoid, I think we avoided the Christmas tree effect partially because you could trade in old items for more interesting ones and partially because of the attunement system.
0: Yeah, because you can only attune to three items, so you know we were we were looking for our end game gear and then really sticking with it
1: right you had the most powerful item that gives you like five different abilities or bonuses rather than the one that gives you two
0: right exactly Um,
1: and of course it showed off like how mismatched the magic item system is like items that are at the same level of rarity can have vastly different uh, abilities and potency
0: the other thing is that magic items benefit spellcasters so much more on average than they benefit non-spellcasters because a lot of the like mid and higher level magic items just give you more spells, right? Like mm-hmm. staff of the magi staff of power, like a lot of like pearls of power, right? Like they just let you do your awesome thing more or they like overcome some limitation that you had as a spellcaster like certain spells known or spells prepared like they can just give you so much flexibility whereas like triggering your flaming sword is never going to feel that exciting compared to like cool i have never done this before but my staff lets me create a wall of fire six times
1: yeah like per day (laughs) right (laughs) even artifact level weapons don't give you 20 percent of the abilities of a totally different class Mm-hmm. Right, we're like, hey, guess what? You have bardic inspiration now, and eh? jack of all trades, and a bit of expertise. Yeah, you know, but this is like spellcasting. Magic items are like so thematically based that they're just like, hey, you get every ice
0: spell in the book. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. It is weird.
1: Uh, but the game is more fun with magic items. You know, like it's mm-hmm. sort of a, a part of like fantasy D anD. D that I wouldn't want to get rid of. Uh, in our return to. Eberron. Like the follow-up, though, I have kept the power level of the magic items that the parties receive much, much lower. I think they're no- nothing so far higher than a plus one.
0: Yep. So, to talk about a couple other rules that were sort of big um, and under consideration that we didn't end up using, um, one is hero points, which are just adopted from action points in Eberron. Um, and I think the DMG actually mentions Eberron um, when it describes them. It basically lets you add a another die to your roll so it's sort of like inspiration on steroids like roll an extra d6 kind of thing i always
1: like that mechanic better than the current inspiration mechanic
0: well yeah and the thing is like the number is limited by your level so you get a certain number of them per level rather than per like session or or refreshing or things like that
1: right and the way that it used to work i actually don't know how it works in, in 5e was that at like lower levels, you had one, and you would roll a d6 and get that as like a bonus to an attack roll or a saving throw or whatever you chose to use it for. And at higher levels, you had two dice, but you would roll them and take the higher of them. So you just had a better chance, but it would never go higher than like a plus six.
0: Yeah, so it's it's. I think it's always a plus. I think it's always adding a d6, and it's just um, the number of them that you get in a given level is the number of the level. So you get one at level one, two at level two, that sort of thing.
1: And the other thing that we didn't really use, uh, well, we touched a little bit on, was Epic Boons. Um, I built some of these into the Epic Destinies that I custom-made for the characters in Morning Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't actually played a game past level 20 where right. you sort of get the boons in place of gaining additional levels.
0: Yeah, though they look real bad for that and do not make you feel that much more powerful.
1: <laughs> no, 40 more hit points. Hey, hmm, ah.
0: Oh, sweet, I'm, that's level 21 now?
1: Great. Yeah.
0: Um, so a couple things that we have homebrewed over time. Um, one is the Epic Destinies that we've shared um, way back when uh, in during the Morning Glory recap episodes um, that you created to kind of round out our character concepts for us so that we felt like we were paragons of whatever it was that we were becoming, you know, as characters. So like mine, for example, for Brand was like the Grand Inquisitor of the Silver Flame um so i gained kind of inquisitor and cleric powers for my sorcerer and that obviously just made us more powerful <laughs> like there's there's no two ways around that right like they just gave us cool new abilities as extra capstone
1: right and because all of you had them i just ramped up the difficulty of right. like all of the encounters
0: yep um in dark sun we homebrewed some pretty brutal desert exhaustion rules for traveling in the desert. Um, Specifically, it was a constitution check, not a constitution save um, to resist the heat. Um, And when you gained exhaustion, you very quickly deteriorated. So it made traveling across the desert very harsh and somewhat farcical, if I'm being honest.
1: Yeah, I think we would need to revisit that or it would need to be made apparent that that is what happens when you try to cross the desert without adequate preparation. Well, no, actually, even with adequate preparation, like, that is how you're crossing the desert. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a bit like, this seems so harsh. How do any armies ever go anywhere? And yet armies show up all the time in Dark Mm. Sun. Well, you're not seeing all
0: the bodies they leave behind, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, I suppose. There's a definite death spiral, which we are typically not fans of, in that once you fail that first constitution check, now you have disadvantage on future constitution checks.
0: Mm Mm-hmm another thing that we homebrewed in a one shot was magical firearms um i i did them as basically melee weapons like clubs and spears that then had a one a one use activation um to like basically force a deck save and dealt some damage i don't know i like them better than just adding the damage like making a 4d6 weapon or whatever like as suggested in the dmg um though it was a lot more complicated for everybody to use and I don't know. I don't know that it added a whole lot to our Pirates campaign.
1: Well, we only played for a few sessions so we would need to play test it a lot more.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing that we do um, in pretty much every game is we just allow custom backgrounds so pretty much pick the skills and you know secondary proficiency that you want, so everybody's following the same format, um, and then just go through whatever background uh, ability makes sense for your character's backstory. Um, you could just pick and choose that.
1: I mean, that's uh, one of the options listed in the PHB. It's basically like, hey, you want to customize a background, and then it says like swap things out, but really, like mechanically, what it means is pick and choose from any background the thing that you want.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan?
1: Yes, I am picking and choosing uh, the 25 gold purse that the noble gets, but also the outlander feature so that if we are foraging and my gold is no good, I'm still fine.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) if you have somehow broken the background system, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us.
1: We do love hearing from you.
0: You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous. And
1: you can tweet at Ishan at Evil EvilSandsCarney. That's
0: malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You
1: can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com.
0: And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com.
1: We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill.
0: And join the community on Discord. Uh, that's where we are most afternoons.
1: All, all the time. Too often. <laughs> deleting memes <laughs> right <laughs> all right so this week total party thrill is brought to you by dnd beyond dnd beyond is the official digital tool set and game companion for dungeons and dragons
0: yep you can use dnd beyond to build your characters track your campaigns run your adventures and do so much more
1: like create homebrew items uh, where you can give it different spell abilities, add bonuses to attack or damage, give immunities or different senses. I am still working my way through all of the different optional things that you can add to a magic item to get it to be exactly what uh, you want. Uh-huh. And then you can also just send a link to it uh, to the people in your campaign and be like, look, suckers, here's the loot you got.
0: Yeah. Hey, equip this.
1: Yeah also it doesn't say cursed but it is (laughs) i saved that part for me
0: at dndbeyond.com you can also find lots of awesome content for free such as the dnd basic rules articles from writers like james j heck and videos from todd kenrick
1: the team is always updating the site with new features so improvements are always coming hey you know what else is free this cursed item for you
0: (laughs) (laughs) no Uh, money it's also free in the homebrew section, if you would like. There are You can share your homebrew items with other people. You can find homebrew items that other people have created. Um, it's helpful for me when I'm trying to set up custom magic items that you've created. I can go look at something similar and figure out how they actually got the programming to work.
1: I also like that it basically checks to see if it is different enough from something that already exists in the database. And if it isn't, it tells you and won't let you upload it. Exactly.
0: <laughs> There's not 37 of the same item. <laughs>
1: This is just like a Boots of Elven kind, but it's blue instead of green.
0: That's okay. Well, I guess
1: it's more of a blue-green, but still, it's not like forest. Well, I guess certain forests, like blue-green ivy.
0: (laughs) Blue lichens. That's what my
1: elf is wearing. That's what my elf is wearing right now.
0: All right. Today in the Character Creation Forge, we are building sly cooper uh, as suggested to us by listener nelson
1: for those of us who are old shane what's a sly cooper
0: so sly cooper is a gentleman thief raccoon from the playstation series of the same name uh the the game series it's basically like a platforming game um you know so you kind of hop around on platforms and you know do raccoon thievery stuff i guess
1: so a polite safe cracking trash panda
0: Basically, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So, I dig it. Yeah, he's got like fevery skills, right? Like picking pockets, sneaking, climbing, breaking, and entering—all those types of things. This is
1: not Crash Bandicoot, right? It is
0: not Crash Bandicoot. No, he is a raccoon.
1: Okay, but this is Does the gameplay look similar?
0: Like third person over shoulder. Ah, uh, okay. And yeah, I, no, I don't know. Around. I actually, I did not watch any gameplay videos. I have no idea what the perspective of this is. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. We do the okay. minimum amount of research here in the Character Creation Forge.
1: Yeah, which is none.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I did a little bit more. I do know that Sly Cooper is an orphan, that he fights with a hooked cane, which is a family heirloom, and he learned his skills from a book that like contained all the history of his family's thieving exploits, which I believe it's just called Evidence.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what? This is a pretty good, uh, customized background.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I'll take Stealth, uh, Sleight of Hand... A uh, book with all my family's exploits. And a purse with 25 gold pieces that I stole.
0: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, keeping with the, the cuteness of the animals in the world, he has uh, two friends and companions. One is a, uh, a wise turtle and the other is a buff hippo.
1: Why can't the hippo be wise and the turtle be buff?
0: I don't. Why I the mean,
1: stereotypes?
0: I know. It's rough. All right. So what is the build? The build is Shadow Monk 4, Thief Rogue 16.
1: All right. Well, from Monk, we get four key points that we can use to drop Flurry of Blows. We get Martial Arts, so even once we're not using Flurry of Blows, we get an extra attack as a bonus action and can punch with it, because what weapon does he use?
0: A Hooked Cane.
1: You know what? That, it's a monk weapon.
0: It's definitely a monk weapon, it right? It absolutely
1: is. Well, actually, I, I think it is, right? I've seen martial arts uh, films where sometimes you have
0: two hooked canes mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. it's like a tripping thing. <laughs> okay. Sweep the leg. I understand.
1: You get to deflect arrows and shadow arts. Spend two key to cast darkness or pass without trace or dark vision or silence.
0: Handy thieving skills, you know? I'd say so. Um, and then what we're really here for at level four is slow fall because my feeling is if you're playing a platformer you often fall from great distances to the ground in that platformer uh, and you never take damage so slow fall from
1: 16 levels of rogue you get i mean basically everything
0: the whole thief rogue yeah you know expertise sneak attack uh thieves can't cunning action all that stuff Uncanny dodge, evasion, right. So you get all the kind of um, tank abilities. You get reliable talent, so you can't roll below an eleven. Uh, you're, you're, I mean, you're here for all of it. Um, but you know, as a thief, you get things like fast hands, which lets you um, use an action or sorry, use an object as a bonus action. Um, you can also use your thieves' tools much faster. Things like that, um, and you can climb at full speed with second story work. Which again. Very much in-fitting for Sly Cooper.
1: And eventually blind sense. And I feel like I feel like a raccoon would have blind sense.
0: Yeah. No, I think that works. Um, at 13, you'll also get use magic device, which is obviously super useful. Um, yeah.
1: Which is exactly what raccoons do when they learn how to use things like door handles. <laughs> they just sort of reach up and they're like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to fiddle around with it until it works. And I'm going to use some people magic and open this door and get inside uh, the, the refrigerator.
0: Exactly. You get it. You, you get Sly Cooper now <laughs> he's one refrigerator away perfect so in terms of leveling order I think we want to start with five levels of rogue this kind of reflects his thief training as an orphan um, then take your four levels of monk and you basically have the full platforming ability uh, and then put the rest of your levels into rogue did you just
1: say that all orphans are thieves
0: no but he was trained as an orphan he learned to be a thief
1: fine i'm saying it all orphans are thieves
0: okay they've
1: stolen our hearts with their adorableness
0: i don't know why we're dying on this hill but okay
1: this is the hill we're on (laughs) (laughs) and it's time to die
0: all right before we wrap up we want to take a moment to thank our patreon supporters
1: yeah your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week so if you'd like to learn more you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill
0: so what do we have planned for next week's episode?
1: We're going to be talking about reincarnation.
0: And in the character Creation Forge?
1: We're building the Bodhisattva.
0: Well, that's it for episode 213 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane.
1: And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.
0: Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy elderwood academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products including dice towers dice trays dice boxes deck boxes dice and more
1: all the products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases codices and other awesome fantasy gear we love except perhaps for the dice catapult which is crafted to look like a catapult
0: Uh uh-huh not fantasy gear but fantasy siege weapon
1: yes uh we actually got to use this at gen con Uh on the show floor
0: Little little rubber band powered catapult.
1: Uh huh. It's actually it's pretty strong. I uh flung. It's dangerous. <laughs> it's it's a,
0: it's a terrible thing to leave in public at a booth.
1: It, yes, it's a very bad idea. I flung several things quite far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would definitely cross the full length of any gaming table. Uh huh. To hit your GM in the eye.
0: So maybe don't use that mm. for that purpose. Anyway.
1: Well, that's why uh, GMS have uh, gaming screens. Oh, that's a good For point. defense. The yeah. <laughs> tower. <laughs> there are no rules on this thing. Castle
0: walls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Do they sell a crenellated DM screens? Because they should. I'm sure it's a thing.
0: <laughs> if they don't, we're kickstarting it soon.
1: Oh, immediately. It's made out of steel.
0: All right. You can find the Dice Catapult and a bunch of other very cool products from Elderwood Academy at www.elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split.